0: Good morning, New Community. Uh, my name is Jerusha Emerson. I'm one of the pastors here at New Community, and uh, it is my privilege to uh, tag team with Kevin this morning as we finish up this paradox series, and this morning specifically talk about <clears throat> prayer and action. Um, I don't think it will be uh, missed by anybody that Kevin and I uh, are probably about as paradoxical in our um, sermon, uh, formatting as, uh, maybe any of the staff could be. And so it seems appropriate, um, and also kind of beautiful that, uh, we bring this, these different, um, maybe just different perspectives, um, as we have sought the Holy Spirit regarding what, uh, could be shared with our community, uh, I will confess that as I began praying praying and preparing for the sermon, I could not have imagined the week that these words would speak into, uh, the week that these words would follow. Like many of us, I have spent a significant amount of time this week in prayer. I have talked to God while digging in the garden. I have wept with my hands over my face after reading the paper. I have been angry and turned my anger to God with the words that I could find and the words that I could not. I have felt the squeeze of doubt in my belly as I walked through my kiddo's school for an event on Wednesday. I have whispered prayers of peace so that I could sleep at night. This has been a heavy week for all of us. Prayer is a natural result an outpouring of where our heart is. And so for many of us, this week has been a week of heavy prayer. I'm aware also that prayer and action, the very title of the paradox for today, is currently making headlines here in Spokane and across the U.S. So as we engage this paradox, I want to acknowledge where we are regarding the shooting in Buffalo, regarding the shooting in Texas, that the frustration around uh, the statement, thoughts, and prayers, and also, quite honestly, the moments when all I feel that I can do is pray, and the frustration that comes with that also. This is where we find ourselves this morning. These words cannot help but be informed by the moment that we're in. My hope, though, is also that these words that I speak this morning are more deeply, more deeply informed by Scripture and ultimately brought to life by the Holy Spirit. So would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and speak life to our hearts this morning, that you would stir us up, that we would hear your words, that your words would settle into us and compel us. In Jesus' name, amen. So it will probably come as no surprise when I say to start, That prayer is action, and that's it. Thank you very much. Okay. Often the accusation, though, is that when it comes to prayer and when it comes to praying, that it takes the place of action, right? That we pray and then we move on. Oh, I'll pray for you. And that means that I can, like, acquit myself of having to follow up with you, right? Oh, I'll pray for the situation, and it means I don't and need to call my representative. Right? The thing is that it also affects when we think about prayer in that way, or we take on the idea that, well, prayer is just prayer, we forget what the prayer of Scripture actually is. So we're going to revisit that a little bit this morning because prayer is always action. But what do we believe about that action? We speak of prayer often as though it were like writing a letter. We sit down, figure out some words, sign off, and move on. And maybe, maybe bedtime prayer is a little bit like that, right? We go to our routines. We sit down, we remember the main things, and then we sign off and get to bed. However, if this is all of the prayer that we engage, it's not mature prayer. My son at seven years old is learning bedtime prayer. That's okay. Sometimes that is all I default to. Sometimes that's all I've got. But can I press into more? Can I challenge myself? If we recognize that prayer is always the beginning, if we do not make it about us, about how exhausted I am, about how I do need to move on, then prayer becomes the spark, the place of beginning. I want to challenge us this morning to to revisit what we think prayer is and why we do it. Prayer is listening. Mother Teresa said, God speaks in the silence of the heart. Listening is the beginning of prayer. Real engaged prayer assumes a listener and it assumes a speaker both ways, not just one. Real engaged prayer is as much sitting and listening to the God of the universe than it is speaking to the God of the universe. And that engagement is a challenge to us because, let's be honest, listening is a hard place to start. Not because there's nothing to listen to, but because there is so much. We are bombarded with voices that shout about what we should be doing, and sitting quietly and waiting on God is hard. There is a beautiful book um, called Dialogues with Silence about the writings, the personal writings and art of Thomas Merton. And in his journal, he wrote, the true contemplative is not one who prepares his mind for a particular message that he wants or expects to, bear, to hear, but is one who remains empty because he knows that he can never expect to anticipate the words that will transform his darkness into light. He does not even anticipate a special kind of transformation. He does not demand light instead of darkness. He waits on the word of God in silence, and when he is answered, it is not so much by a word that bursts into his silence, it is by the silence itself, suddenly inexplicably revealing itself to him as a word of great power, full of the voice of God waiting in that silence is hard, particularly in our current moment. So silence may be where we begin, but what comes of that silence is the same kind of change that we have seen the spring rain bring to the frozen ground. We are filled with the fullness of God that comes out of that silence, that fills that silence, and we find our beginning We cannot encounter God and not be changed. We know this, and yet we feel that we must. We must. It is much more like the psalmist at the beginning saying, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. The outcome of prayer is the same as the tree that bears fruit in season. This cannot be controlled or rushed. Fruit is no more the product of a tree is not the product of a tree, it is the produce. It is not the product, it is not something that that tree sat and tried to figure out, how do I get this thing out of me? It is just the tree dwelling in the goodness of that soil and drawing on the water, and then it cannot help but produce The outcome of prayer is like that for us. And so I would chale- challenge us. The result of prayer is not a specific answered prayer, it is not us coming up with exactly the right words at exactly the right moment. Instead, the answer is the result of heaven and earth meeting in me and in the world around me through prayer. Heaven and earth are colliding, and I must change. My imagination cannot capture all that may occur with prayer. But all too often, my concept is two-dimensional. Prayer is an action that compels me to action. And I will leave us with the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is our example of prayer. That in the Garden, we find Jesus petitioning. We find Jesus listening. We find Jesus in communion with God. And whatever he was doing, It was enough action to produce sweat-like drops of blood. There was action. It is in the communion with God that we find heaven and earth colliding in us. This is the action of prayer, and it becomes our starting place for the action that follows.
1: Thank you, Jerusha. So we shared notes a little bit this week, Jerusha and I did, but uh, the intention was to have two pretty distinct, unique communicators talking on these topics. Uh, And like she mentioned, uh, my guess is that you will see that this morning. So I'm going to more specifically talk about... Our actions, kind of the physical outworking of, uh, of this stuff, which I would say right out of the gates are not paradoxical to prayer, right? Our actions are an extension. They are an outworking of our prayer. And in fact, prayer is where our action should be conceived. And once it is conceived, the actions of our lives birthed into the world speak and point towards and to the kingdom. Henry Nouwen says, prayer and action can never be seen as contradictory or mutually exclusive. Prayer without action grows into powerless pietism. And action without prayer degenerates into questionable manipulation. Prayer functionally orients our hearts and our minds on the way of Christ. Then our actions become the very witness to who we believe Jesus to be in This world. This is why prayer and action are not only intrinsically connected, but of equal importance. And so we kind of tricked you a little bit this morning by setting them on either end of this paradox, because they are not paradoxical to one another. As Jerusha mentioned, one begets the other, which then simply drives us back to the starting point, creating a bit of a never ending loop of experience of prayer and action in our lives. But I do think it is important to isolate this action or our actions for just a moment this morning, because I think we can probably all agree that there is a bit of a felt Christian cultural tension about their meaning and their importance and the place that actions should hold in our lives. Ephesians seems to be pretty clear that we are accepted through grace by faith alone not by anything on our own accord, and that it's the free gift of God, not contingent on our works or our actions. Now, it can be tempting to read this passage and conclude that once the big deed has been done, then how we or you think, live, act doesn't ultimately matter because you have already been sealed, right? But then a few pages later, in the book of Philippians, the same author, Paul, instructs us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, literally to perform or achieve, to accomplish, to bring about results for the sake of our salvation. So how can it be that we are saved by grace alone through faith while also needing to achieve certain things for our salvation? So maybe this is the true paradox this morning. And the only answer to that that I can truly give is this. Yes, we are saved by grace alone, and we are called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. I believe both statements are correct, and that those who are truly wise are the ones who can hold these two truths at the same time. Now, the real danger in this paradox, if we isolate it, is <clears throat> the paradox uh, in this action uh, or in this, uh, these two different extremes of how we view actions lies when churches overemphasize one end of the spectrum to the diminishment of the other. Let me give you an example. On one end, it creates communities so focused and resolved in their own eternal security by way of God's grace That they easily live distanced and unaffected from the hurt, the pain, the injustices, the needs of their neighbors. And in this scenario, individuals slowly become relationally transactional, if not wholeheartedly, self-absorbed in how they understand their own function in the world. Now, on the other end, the other extreme, you have a community tirelessly working to earn God's approval And love. The exhaustion of this eventually takes its toll, and people are churned out of church life one by one as the shame of never fully measuring up becomes too hard to carry. As you can see, both of these are incredibly problematic. This is why holding the tension between these two extremes, allowing them to balance, is the only good way. Forward. So I want to add a few thoughts to maybe bring some clarity this morning. I'm going to briefly speak to three very distinct groups of people this morning. So let me first talk to those whose experience or understanding leads them to carry the unnecessary burden of trying to earn their place in the kingdom. The actions or works, if I may, of your faith do not, will not, secure nor further enhance God's love of you. For those of you who are tired of carrying that guilt, you cannot work your way into a better standing with God. This is the extravagant nature of God's love and acceptance in your life. We see it time and time again in the ministry of Jesus. He welcomes, he accepts, he extends grace towards, he shows love to individuals long before he calls them to any specific action. And then out of their response, their faith is made real as their actions and their behaviors begin to change. Now, we go back to Philippians and we look at this idea of fear and trembling that Paul speaks of. I don't think it's a fear of eternal damnation or a trembling in the presence of a God who demands certain adherence. I think it's a fear of missing what good God might have for you as you are obedient to his call. I think it's trembling in the reality that God has entrusted you. He has entrusted us to the responsibility on acting on behalf of God. Let us not forget the second half of Paul's thought in Philippians, which we often forget to mention when talking about the importance of our work for the Lord. I'll read the whole verse here. It says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And here's the important part, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It is not up to you. It's always been God working in you to fulfill the good purpose. So take a breath. Rest in that reality that you are loved and accepted simply because you are you. Not because of what you can do. Not because of how hard you can work. I'll turn my attention to those whose actions have become an afterthought to the faith they profess. This is the second group of folks. To those who are here this morning, who by way of either theological conviction of your own eternal security, or maybe just due to simple indifference, who live their lives not all that influenced by the way of Jesus, hear this right now. Your actions deeply matter. Your faith is far more than a decision that you made at some point a long time ago. It's intended to be living and breathing every day. Like Russ mentioned last week, each of us has been given gifts designed to be used for the betterment of the kingdom, and to neglect these things is to snuff out the flame that God has started within you. In Miguel de la Torre's incredible work doing Christian ethics from the margin, he remarks this, in short, there can be no faith, in fact, no salvation without ethical praxis. Not because actions are the cause of salvation, but rather their manifestation. How you love your neighbor deeply matters. How you spend your time deeply matters. Matters. While these things may not change God's eternal grace, they certainly affect the kingdom in the here and now. And to think that professing a Christian faith doesn't require daily sacrifice and work is to miss the meaning of discipleship. So regardless of background or experience, or maybe just the way your personality biases your understanding, I think we each need wisdom enough to live in this tension and to be balanced in our approach to the action that we've been called to. Yes, we are loved and accepted, not by our own actions. And yes, followers of Jesus are called to live an active life for him. Now, there is one more group that I want to address. This group of folks either here this morning, maybe even more likely to be listening on the podcast, is the group that feel like their faith is still in a COVID fog. How many people have experienced the COVID fog? Right? That's going to happen for like the next uh, minute here, so you guys can all pull out your phones if you need to. For those folks, the people who have found it challenging to get back into a rhythm post stay safe, stay home, first, let me assure you that you are not alone. For a year, many of us went dark. The things that we had been doing consistently were stripped away, and we were left to chart a new course. Now, some have found their footing And others are still struggling struggling to figure out what an external expression of their internal face should look like in our very different world. In our conversations as a staff and as a leadership team in the last year or so, I might even guess that this is the largest group that I'm addressing this morning out of the three. While we can acknowledge the last two years has allowed us to let go of some things that maybe turned out not to be all, of the, all that helpful in our lives, let me be bold this morning and say that I am confident that there are practices and rhythms and a call in your life that needs to be reengaged. This community, this city, the kingdom of God needs you. I was reading recently, came upon this story, which I think can be helpful to illustrate what I'm talking about. And I'm just going to read this story this morning. <clears throat> it says this, a small group of Hungarian troops were camped in the Alps during the First World War. Their commander, a young lieutenant, decided to send out a small group of men on a scouting mission. Shortly after the scouting group left, it began to snow and it snowed steadily for two days. The scouting squad did not return and the young officer, something of an intellectual and an idealist, suffered from paralyzing guilt over having sent his men to their death. In his torment, he questioned not only his decision to send out the scouting mission, but also the war itself and his role in it. He was a man tormented. Suddenly, unexpectedly, on the third day, the long overdue scouting squad returned. There was great joy, great relief in the camp, and the young commander questioned his men eagerly. Where were you? He asked. How did you survive? How did you find your way back? The sergeant who had led the scouts replied We were lost in the snow and we had given up hope. We had resigned ourselves to die. Then one of the men found a map map in his pocket. With its help, we knew we could find our way back. We made camp, waited for the snow to stop, and then as soon as we could travel, we returned here. The young commander asked to see this most wonderful map, and as it was turned over and unfolded, it did not take long for the lieutenant to realize that it was a map not of the Alps, but of the pyrenees. So here is why I share this story this morning. I believe in the last couple years we've all had to choose somewhere along the way whether or not we would be the lieutenant, spiraling out of control, questioning everything we know or don't know in our new reality, or the sergeant, resolved and steadfast, willing to use anything to keep moving. My encouragement to those still feeling like they are in the fog, start moving again. If you wait for the right time or the perfect scenario, i.e. the correct map, you may find yourself in the same place for a long, long time. God can and will use anything and anyone but you have to be willing to start. So let me summarize with this. What's most important about this paradox of action is that our faith is only truly alive if it's worked out daily in the confidence of God's promises. I believe this is what James is arguing when he says, in the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. A faith devoid of prayer and action is a lifeless faith. Each and every day, we have an opportunity to recognize what God is doing within us and respond. Mueller says, the believer must finish, must carry to conclusion, must apply to its fullest consequences what has already been given by God in principle. He must work out what God in his grace has worked in. By grace alone, God has worked something very special in you, in me if we desire our faith to be authentic, to be vibrant, to feel alive, then our action born in prayer must spring forth from the reality that's within. So new community, as we go into this week with heavy hearts, some feeling anger, some feeling sadness, most of us just disoriented around how to be, what to do, let us be a people who embrace paradox and whose prayer drives real action for the movement of the kingdom. Amen.